that are now with the Lord. We have hope. We have hope. One of these days, we're not only going to see them again, but one of these days, we'll go face to face, eyeball to eyeball with our Savior. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen? Well, we're going to look into the Word of God for a while, so get your Bibles ready, and if you don't have yours, there ought to be one in a uh, chair rack in front of you there, or get alongside someone who has one, because uh, we're going to move throughout Scripture today. Uh, God says He deals with us according to His Word, and so we're going to use His Word and move from passage to passage. We don't often do that. Normally, uh, try to preach in an expository way where we're taking the points literally from a particular passage, but today we're going to move around a little bit in more of a topical approach. Titled the message, Prevailing Prayer. Uh, part of the reason I did that is because I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan and the Cubs are not being very good to us these days, so we need to be praying for the Cardinals today. Um, I don't know if you know, you have any idea if baseball's mentioned in the Bible? Some of you are aware of that, right? Scott, where's the one place? In, in the big inning. Anybody else know? Okay, in the big inning. And then I noticed this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where it's talking about Adam and Eve and the fruit. It says Eve took or stole first. And it says that Adam took or stole second, it says. That's another setting. And then in Numbers 11, verse 32, as the children of Israel were being provided for in the wilderness, it says they gathered manna and quail, 10 homers worth. Okay, or it's omers, not homers. But then uh, I also saw in scripture where Rebecca went to the well with a pitcher. We'll leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah 33.3. Would you go there with me? Jeremiah 33.3. Referred to that earlier on in our service. Um, the transition team, search team, kind of put them together. Uh, they're in place. The work has begun. It began uh, last Wednesday night initially, and we meet again tomorrow night, and we'll be meeting on a regular basis every other week or so. Uh, there's a job to get done, a task at hand, so pray, if you would, please pray uh, for the transition search team uh, for a number of reasons. One is they're hanging out with me on a regular basis. Pray for them. They, they're in trouble hanging with me as often as we're going to have to do this together. Um, you know, I've been spending time, Barbara and I have talked a little bit about this. She, she's the one who, she doesn't have to, but she listens so much to me when I'm just sharing thoughts at times. And I've been spending a lot of time in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the church is together early on in their history, it talks about the priorities that they've devoted themselves to. And it says they, they gathered together around the apostles' teaching. That's all they had. They didn't have the Word of God completed as you and I do this morning. All they had was what Jesus had taught the apostles. 
And the apostles certainly were moved by the resurrected Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But they shared other thoughts, other principles, other truths, the apostles' doctrine. That was a, a priority of the early church, fellowship, just getting together as brothers and sisters in Christ. In many ways, there was persecution going on all around them. They needed each other. They needed to pray for each other and encourage each other, support each other. And on a regular basis, just like we do, it's vital that you and I take communion together because what we're doing is remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the shed blood, the broken body, just a, a memory. Remember, it's an ordinance God has given to the local church, to the church as a whole, but we're to, we're to remember him. One of these days, we'll be with him in glory. In the meantime, we're to remember what the cost of our salvation truly was what Jesus went through. And then it says the fourth priority for them was prayer. Prayer. They spent time, a lot of time, talking with the Lord. I've entitled the message Prevailing Prayer. Prevail means to be able to produce a desired result. You do it with perseverance. That desired result can come about, but usually there's perseverance involved. A lot of times in prevailing, there's utter success. We get the job done, we get the task done with perseverance. Um, we're going to look at some key elements of prevailing prayer this morning. We're going to move through Scripture to do that. What we mean by elements are the simple principles of a subject, a subject at hand, a subject that we're studying. We're going to study prayer. What are the simple principles or elements involved in prevailing prayer. Look with me at Jeremiah 33, verse 3. It says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. We're being reminded here, challenged here, to do what Israel was challenged to do, and that's to call out to God. It's reference to prayer, calling to him, including God in our lives, in our situation. Asking God to come alongside and to meet our needs. Who is this God? Well, the verse before says, this is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. This is the man we're calling to, not humanly speaking, but the Son of Man represents us before God, and we have access to the Father in and through the finished work of his Son, and we have the Holy Spirit within us who encourages us and challenges us to pray. Back in chapter 2, looking at verse 26, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He said, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? What's the answer to that? No, of course not. Well, that's the God you and I have access to, just like Israel did. Go back to chapter 32, verse 17. It says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So we begin this morning with this thought of calling out to God, not being afraid or ashamed to call to him because of who he is, the sovereign God. Now go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Would you please? Luke chapter 11. To me, this is a powerful thought. Looking at verse 1 in Luke 11. One day it says Jesus was praying. 
Uh, That was a habit with him, remember? One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. This is the only thing I can see in Scripture that the disciples ever really asked the Lord to teach them. I think we've referred to that before. He didn't, they were not asking the Lord to teach them to preach or to teach or to consult, whatever. Would you teach us to pray? So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. He said, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. And then he gave them an illustration here. He said, uh, suppose one of you has a friend. And that friend goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. We're in bed is the thought. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, He will not get up and give him the bread because he's a friend, yet because of the man's boldness. Keeps knocking or keeps coming or keeps asking. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask, and what will happen? It'll be given. Seek, and what? We'll find. Knock, and what will happen? The door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, are you going to give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Of course not, is the thought. Well, he says, then if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give those great gifts, including the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him. What a passage dealing with prevailing prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. The thought is, I'll respond. Now we're going to look at some principles in a moment that are involved in all this, in this thought of prevailing prayer. But before we go there, I want you to go with me to James 5. James 5. Very practical man, this man named James. A very practical, straight-on type of book here. James 5. I'd like you to go with me to verse 16. In the New King James, it would say this, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. What's it do? It avails much. In the NIV here, it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's effective. Now, we're laying the groundwork for why it's vital for you and I as the children of God. If we know him, we have access to him. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus is representing us before the Father. It would be a shame and disgrace not to call out to the Father, in and through the finished work of the Son, motivated and encouraged by the Spirit of God. 
So stay with me. I want you to go to another passage. It's 1 John. It's just over a couple books. To 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, looking at verse 14. We're talking about prevailing prayer. We're laying the foundation here. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. What's that confidence? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Now, do you begin to get a sense of why in the early church prayer was a priority for those dear folks? Access to the Father through the resurrected Christ, encouraged by within their hearts and lives the filling and control of the Holy Spirit. All right, what are some of these key elements? What are these simple principles that are pointed out to us in the Word of God uh, concerning prevailing in prayer? I think it's vital and important for us to understand that. Um, God does deal with us according to His Word. It says in Psalm 119, specifically verse 65, but God deals with the human heart and soul in and through and based upon his word. That's why it's vital for you and I to understand it. So we need to go to the word of God in this specific area of prevailing prayer, wouldn't you think? All right, let's go. Hebrews chapter 11, let's go there. Hebrews chapter 11, anybody know what this first principle is gonna include if we go to Hebrews 11? Faith, right? Hebrews 11 verse six. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, there's no way for you and I to please Almighty God. But we're to come to him, it says. Anyone who comes to him. We're to do that, but as we come to him, we must believe not only that he's there, that he exists, that he wants us in his presence, but we need to believe that he's going to reward us if we'll seek him. Ask and we'll find, seek, I'm sorry, ask and it will be given, seek and we'll find, knock and the door will be open. Here's the thought, that he rewards those who call out to him. In Matthew 11, Jesus uh, Jesus was responding to a setting in which uh, a young, a little boy uh, was being certainly demon-influenced. If he wasn't demon-possessed, he was certainly demon-oppressed. And uh, the disciples couldn't deliver this young man, but Jesus showed up on the scene and did, did deliver him. And the disciples were confused and frustrated and said, why couldn't we deliver that young boy? How come you could and we can't? Remember what he said? Well, it takes faith to do that. And then he went on to say that if you had the, the faith of a mustard seed, you too could not only do something like this, you could move mountains. In other words, faith is such a key. Trust is such a key when it comes to prevailing prayer. Uh, you've heard me talk about a message that I heard from Charles Stanley one time talking about Noah. 
in how uh, Noah was, Noah and his family were the only righteous people on the face of the earth at that time. That'll blow us away when you look at what's going on in our country and in our world. They were the only righteous people. And God wanted Noah to listen to what God said. And he wanted Noah not only to listen, but then to trust what he said. Believe what I say. And then he said, if you're willing to listen and trust, it's going to show up in obedience to me. And if it shows up in obedience, I can bless you tremendously. And he did. He blessed him tremendously. He'll do the same for you and me. But prevailing prayer, one of the elements of faithfully praying and prevailing in prayer is we must pray in faith. We must trust God. There's another principle. It's a vital one. We, you and I must pray with a repentant heart and a repentant mind. So go with me to Psalm 66, will you please? We're going to look at three passages concerning the thought of a repentant heart here. Psalm 66. It basically says this, if I cherish sin in my heart, guess what? You and I can pray all we want. But if there's sin in our heart and life, known sin that you and I refuse to deal with, it says, the Lord will not hear me. Could he hear? Of course. God can do anything. But will he? No. The thought is, he will not respond. He will not hear. He'll not be able to act. He's a just God. 1 John chapter 3, would you go there with me? Forgive me for moving you all around, but I, I think it's vital for us to, to use Scripture this morning and, and have a foundation for what we're talking about or building from. 1 John chapter 3. Look with me at verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Do you see the importance here of praying with a repentant heart and mind? The thought is, as long as our hearts are right with God, as long as there's not known unconfessed sin in our life, we can come in prayer in confidence or with confidence knowing that as we talk with God, He's not only listening and hearing, but He's in a position to bring about His perfect will in our lives. He is if our hearts do not condemn us. And this is, to me, one of the most powerful passages in Scripture on prayer. It's Isaiah 59. Would you go there? Isaiah 59. First part of this chapter says this, Isaiah 59, verse 1. What the Lord is doing is working through the prophet Isaiah here about Israel and their needs and whatever. He says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. In other words, God can do it. He can always do it. It's not that his arm is too short to save. It's not that his ear can't hear. It's not too dull he, it isn't that God needs spiritual hearing aids. That's not what it's saying here. But he said, it's sin. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. And as a result of that, your sins have hidden his face from you. So that what? 
Does it say he cannot hear? No. It says he will not hear. So one of the key principles here, one of the key elements of prevailing in prayer is faith. And another one is a repentant heart. Talk about separation. Talk about a major separation at its worst. That's when God cannot or will not, in a sense, quote, listen to his own children. That happens. Scripture tells us that. So if you and I are going to prevail in prayer, if we're going to find God's perfect will in our lives and in our situations and circumstances, we're going to have to pray with a repentant heart and mind. God is certainly able. God is certainly capable of hearing. But when there's sin in my heart or life or your heart and life, in the life of a child of God, it causes God to choose not to listen or respond. Go back to the Gospels. Let's go to Mark 11, would you please? Mark 11. As you're turning there, here's another principle of prevailing prayer. It's another element. You and I, when we pray, we'd be wise to pray with a forgiving spirit. With a forgiving spirit. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. When you stay in praying, if you hold anything against anyone, what are we supposed to do? Forgive them. Why? So that our Father in heaven may forgive us as well. Verse 24, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. But there's a condition there. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Sound familiar? The Lord's Prayer, where we're praying, forgive us our sins or trespasses or debts, as we what? Forgive those who sin against us. Folks, uh, I can't help but believe that hypocrisy at its worst could very well be when you and I come into God's presence and expect God to do something for us when we fail to be right with our brothers or sisters in Christ. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? Um, am I guilty of that? You bet I am. Are you guilty of that? Sure. We all are. When we sin against God and others and then fail to forgive others when they sin against us or wrong us, God can't and won't answer our prayers. Remember Peter coming to Jesus in Matthew 18? He says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Remember what Jesus, Peter said seven times? Remember what Jesus said? How about 70 times seven, Peter? In other words, all the time. 
when someone has wronged you, you, you need to be willing to forgive. It's not easy to do. It's why this Christian life is a supernatural life. It's not something that you and I are capable of pulling off because we're human beings or because we're intellectual or have a, a, a lot of formal education and capabilities. This is supernatural stuff. This walking with God and trusting God. Jesus gave a parable in that same passage of an unmerciful servant who owed the king some, at that time, would have been $10 million. If he didn't pay, he'd be put in prison. This fellow, the servant, pleaded with all that he had. He pleaded, he said, forgive me my debt. The king did. The servant didn't go to prison. He walked out, set free. But the Lord uh, was talking here then about that very servant who went and found someone who owed him $100. He took him by the neck and began to choke him. He grabbed him, backed him up, began to choke him and demanded his $100. The servant couldn't pay that $100. So the guy who had just been forgiven $10 million took that servant who only owed $100, saw to it that he went into prison. That, that was the Lord's story. I guess I'm saying to me as I say it to you, does this sound kind of familiar this morning? And how we go about life if we're not careful? God is saying, be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But he doesn't stop there. He said, even as God, for Christ's sake, has what? Forgiven us. You see, if you and I can just grasp, and we'll take the time to grasp, just how gracious and merciful God has been to forgive us, that will help us when it comes to forgiving others. And it's vital that you and I be right with God when we pray. And you know, it's impossible to be right with God if we're not right with others. It's impossible. So one of the principles of prevailing in prayer is praying with a forgiving spirit. Go with me to John 14, would you please? It's a very familiar passage, but we're going to look at this passage in a new light here for a few moments. John chapter 14. This is that passage that begins, let not your heart be troubled. Okay. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. And He goes on to say that he's going away because he has something to do in pre preparation for us because he's coming back for us. But then in John chapter 14, later on in verse 13, Jesus makes this statement. and He says, I, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father verse 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Another principle of prevailing prayer, you and I must pray in Jesus' name. Um, how do we often close our prayers? 
In Jesus' name, amen. Um, is that what he's talking about here? Is how you conclude a prayer, do you think? No, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think it's probably wise for us to conclude our prayers in Jesus' name. It's reminding us of what gets us access to the Father. That's the key part of that. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You know, for you and I to have our prayers answered and for God to respond when you and I as, as his children call out to him and talk with him, that's fruit at its best. It's fruit at its best. Uh, we live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and many would say that's the fruit belt of the Midwest. Apples galore, peaches galore, cherries all over the place. You talk about fruit it's, at its best is when you and I, talking about spiritual fruit, when you and I call out to God and he actually hears us. And he actually answers when we call out. And he shows us great and mighty things way beyond our greatest expectation. That's prayer, folks. That's called prayer. That's what happens when you and I pray in Jesus' name. I told you about our graduation class. Uh, this was a, another century that it took place in way back in early 1970s when I graduated from Moody Bible Institute. Uh, John 15, 16 was a verse that our particular class chose. And that verse, verse uh, really stayed with me all through these years. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last forever. And he says, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name in my name. If you and I are going to prevail in prayer, we must understand the importance of praying in the name of the Lord Jesus. There is no other way to the Father, salvation-wise, but through him, and there's no other access to the Father, in a sense, outside of the name of the Lord Jesus. He makes it possible. You see, through what he did at Calvary, he rescued you and I. And he did that through what we call redemption, or scripture calls redemption. But as he redeemed us, we were reconciled to the Father. He didn't go anywhere. We did in our sin. But we've been reconciled to, to the sovereign God of the universe, to Almighty God, to Jehovah God. We've been reconciled by way of what Jesus has done. And our only hope to get to the Father is in and through the work and specifically here in prayer, through the name of the Lord Jesus. You still with me? Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. We're just about done. 1 John chapter 5. Because another principle is not just praying in Jesus' name, but you and I must pray in harmony with the will of God. If you and I pray something contrary to the will of God, God's not going to bring it about. He's not going to bring it about. He can't answer that if it's inconsistent with his heart and mind and will. 1 John 
chapter 5, verse 14. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Approaching God is talking about coming to him, calling out to him, praying to him. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Uh, God has a plan, has a purpose, he has a desire, he, he has a will. Um, he wants to fulfill that will in your life, in my life. He has a plan and a purpose for this body of believers. I believe that. Uh, it talks about David and the book of Acts, in which when, God, when David had fulfilled God's purpose for his life, God took him home. Uh, that's how God works. He has a purpose and plan. And when he's accomplished what he's longed to accomplish in a person's heart and life, he takes them home. Takes them home. I don't know how all that works. But God has a perfect plan and will. And you and I need to be praying best we can in harmony with the will of God. That's why in James, in James it talks about praying with proper motives. The right motives. Praying according to God's will. This is in James 4 and not our own will. So often, folks, we're praying for our own personal gain and to act upon our selfish ambition. We're not going to receive if we ask in that kind of mode or mindset. That's contrary to the will of God. We've talked about some elements here in prevailing prayer. And what we mean by element is simple principles of a particular study or subject. Well, our study or subject we're looking at this morning is prevailing prayer. And some key elements, praying in faith, praying with a repentant heart and mind, praying with a forgiving spirit, praying in the name of the Lord Jesus, and praying in harmony with the will of God. And it brings me to the last thought, and then we're on our way. This one's vital and important. That's why I begin with the, the fact that we need to be praying for our search team. We need to be praying for God's will to be done. God knows who it is that he wants to be the next long-term shepherd or pastor of this church. God knows, because he knows everything. He's preparing that man's heart and life, I believe, for this particular ministry. Shepherding you folks, I, I really believe that. How he brings us together, I'm not sure how that's all going to play out. But I do know this, that it's vital and important for all of us. More important for you than Barb and I. But it's vital for all of us to be prepared and get as best prepared as we can as a church body for who God is bringing your way. And so part of what we're doing with the search team is to help them understand where you're at in your history, where you're at in this whole cycle of serving God as a body of believers. You've been around for a while, and amazing things have taken place. Difficult circumstances and situations have been walked through. And there's a core of believers gathered together here right now today but but you see what i mean it's a core of believers that have come together 
and your search team will walk through and, and understand in a sense who you are and why you do what you do and, and why you are who you are in the setting that you're in today. We've, we've got to walk through that. We've got to understand some things and we need to build some type of grid to work from so that God can help lead us in the direction, I believe, of that man and wherever he's at. When we talk about a grid, every pastor ought to have basics, right? There ought to be basic in any Christian's life, but certainly any shepherd or pastor. As I've talked about before, what's impossible about shepherding people is that it's sheep that shepherd people. That's what makes it hard. That's why it's supernatural stuff. Um, your next shepherd, who is he? Where is he? What's God have in mind? Well, it's not so much what you want that's important. It's what we need as a church body. Where are you at? Are we ready? Are we working at preparing our own hearts and minds so that when God brings that man our way, that we will bond together and move on in making disciples and honoring the Lord Jesus and reaching a community here that needs Jesus. That brings me to this thought in Matthew 18, 19. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, Guess what? You know how to finish that? There I am in their midst. I am with them. As I mentioned, the transition team, search team, it's one and the same. The process is underway. Um, they're already meeting. And as a church body, it's vital that we come together in prevailing prayer, in oneness of heart and mind, with a fervent heart for God and for His will. Uh, why not? Why not? Why not you? Why does it have to be some other church that does that? Why not you? And why not now? Why not now? Prevailing prayer will play a major role in what's a very important endeavor for CCC. I believe that. Father, we're grateful to be in your presence today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who teaches us, enlightens, and illuminates our minds and hearts to the truth. Lord, uh, we do a lot of things in this world, a lot of important things, I guess, but nothing is more vital and important than prayer or prevailing in prayer, seeing utter success as we persevere, as we come to you. But Lord, there's conditions to be met. There's expectations you have. And we've looked at some of those simple little elements and principles today. May it be our desire to not only hear what they are, but to believe and trust in our heart that the reason you gave those principles to us is because you want us to obey them and apply them.
for one major priority reason. That would be so you could answer when we pray. Lord, there may be some among us today that don't even know who you are. Because if they've never met your son, they don't know you. And I pray for them today. I pray that they would not leave this place until they've come to know Jesus. Lord, we'll help in any way we can to point them to Jesus Christ, just like someone took the time and effort to point us to him. What a life-changing, eternally changing decision that was. But for those of us who know you, Lord, uh, please burden our hearts with what it means to pray, prevailing, persevering in prayer, and cause us to make whatever necessary changes are needed. And if we can't make them in our own strength, which we probably can't, to allow you, Holy Spirit, to take over and control so that you can answer when we call. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.